Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, the Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us from the middle of a very dangerous event, right out of the danger zone, Susan Dennis. Susan, hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Good morning and thank you. Good morning to you as well and you are most welcome. It wasn't easy for you because you said you're right in the middle of the hurricane. I am not in the worst of the hurricane. Our, our dear friends south of us in Florida are mm. Mm. Um, yeah. far, far worse than us. But it did move its way up our into our part of the country. I'm in North Carolina. Mm. As I so often do in hurricanes, I fill a couple things of water and maybe charge my phone and don't believe it's coming to hit us as it did last night. <laughs> and it was it was much worse, I think, than uh, we anticipated. It a uh, lot of very big, fast moving gusts of wind that take the power lines down hmm. and knock out your cellular service, etc. So I'm talking to you from a parking lot of a bakery. <laughs> yeah, and we are glad you do. And it's fascinating to talk about your novel, The Secret Field, which came out this year. Yes. Yeah, it is a fast paced page turner. It's untownable, to be quite honest. And you had me reading uh, when I should have been asleep. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts, I mean, the, the beginning, it starts very intense. Yeah, you mm -hmm. said so, intense. Yeah. And you, I mean, we said it's a adventure story. It's a thriller. It's crime. And for our dear teacup, it also has a slight touch of horror to be honest some scenes <laughs> see uh, there have been a few who have reviewed it who felt the need to alert other readers to some of the i would consider them to be touches of horror light touches of horror but i felt that as the story took me on its own journey they appeared in my imagination and i went with it but i myself am not a heavy horror reader but i like a little horror <laughs> ah, good for you. I like it. Come I like through. a touch of horror. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have to say, I absolutely enjoyed it. I'm not so squeamish like the teacup here. And your <laughs> unlikely heroine, Carrie yes. Bell, where did she come from? Tell us about her. Well, Carrie is, um, many have said, you know, as always, you know, is your protagonist, uh, you know, an, an alter component of your own self, et cetera, et cetera. And of course she is, but that, of course she is. But I began to think of this character as uh, I should start by saying I have had a lifelong fascination with things that are buried in the ground. And anytime there is a report or story told about some family or some church or some landowner finding very ancient things buried in the backyard or a chest of Roman coins or mysterious ancient findings, I find myself in, for most of my life, thinking about things that are buried. When I was very young in About in this country, eighth grade, maybe I was 10, I, I wrote a, a book about a group of uh, sort of orphans who found things buried. And I, they were a set of keys, very old keys. And uh, my teacher liked the story so well, she told me I didn't have to come to the class any longer. I could sit in the hall and write. So <laughs> that was my first ticket into the writing world. And ever since then, so to answer your question about Carrie, she began her relationship with her mother. There are many things that are light touches of my own life, but I wanted to create someone who evolved, greatly challenged, greatly under underestimated herself. And really through community, through others, she began to discover herself. They, they allowed her to, to see another self. So this is why I think some who have reviewed it have referred to the book as a sort of a melding of genders, which is very exciting to hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Genres. I'm not. I'm undercaffeinated because I had no. <laughs> I had no power this morning. Um, but a melding of genres that gives sort of that touch of a woman's story also, because it, I think, is very much a mother-daughter, as crazy as they are, um, <laughs> a mother-daughter mother sort of under, as well as 
a story about older people mm -hmm. because several of my characters are seniors or older people yeah. that have a whole lot of life left in them. So they are also connecting in a way to build the character of Carrie and finding her first ever community of friends and people to help her find herself. Those are the supporting characters which feature quite prominently, I also think, helping her to heal. Yeah, yes, they absolutely are. Absolutely. And I had to have, because I've, I actually in my lifetime have met such a person who is a woman detective and an older lady. And I just, I, I had such a fascination with her occupation that I knew that this person would sort of present itself in a different form, but in a in a sort of a, a part of the story and helping to again share some of Carrie's great fears but also what she finds the subtitle of the, the novel is there's more treasure above ground and below ground and for Carrie these are these people that she has <clears throat> brought that have come into her life on a range of reasons and circumstance. <laughs> so would you also say that book or the story is about home family as well it is mm. yes indeed it is and there is a sequel mm. um, to this the title is called dangerous ground mm -hmm. and it is also revelations that continue for carrie in her family and in her own inner self and still more work for her to find the lost love coin. And uh, sorry, sorry, Tika. And will her adversaries also make a reappearance? They will indeed. Ah. <coughs> Not all, but most. Ah. <laughs> There's a twist in this and a new one appears. Okay. And uh, that that sort of takes the story into, again, more and more of the coin collecting world that is the is the treasure that they are. If they're the buried thing, if you will, the, the treasure aspect of it, that is mm -hmm. the, the tangible treasure, is this mysterious random coin that somehow has found its way from across the world into this odd field. And but they still haven't found it, but they continue to look for it. It's it's a quest. And mm -hmm. The, the second sequel, the book, will talk about how far will you go to keep looking for that one thing? Is it worth it? Coming back to the detective, is it that being advanced in her age is also in some, some regard an advantage because um, then she will often be underestimated? Always. <laughs> Always. I mean, you're talking to a woman who's 69. <laughs> no, you're not. I am. No. I, and we shall not be underestimated. Um, and, and I find that all three of my, well, there's four, but the elder characters in my story, I have been myself touched by elder people that I find so dynamic and so full of uh, stories and the energies of these people. I spoke to you earlier about my aunt, died at 101. He had a brilliant conversation days before her death. I mean, she was as mentally aware and curious. I love that. And so in my story, it's, it is a melding of genres in the sense that it has, I think, a lot of love and a lot of just community. But it, it's, and yeah. it's, not, it's the, the, not defined as what we might think is a community, but in fact, it, it forms its own community. But your, your family... As we, let's call them, you call them in your book, friend, family or family friend, mm -hmm. this, this community yes. of people. I mean, it gets uh, quite a touch of color mm -hmm. uh, when Pepper arrives. <laughs> well, I, I do love Pepper. Um, yeah. I have a great fondness for Pepper and he, of course, uh, shall return. But the nice thing about Pepper is that here's my purpose, I think, besides the, the light and levity that he can bring is also that he himself is misperceived by others, underestimated by others. He doesn't have a home and he too is in search of home and family, but he is conflicted as, as you know, everyone in the story is in their own way conflicted and bits and pieces of uh, flawed sort of weakness and frailties as they present themselves. 
various points and parts of the story, but Pepper is just so riveted with a range of things that are just unexpected. I think this is my character where things are so unexpected. And he there is a journey that he takes through the story, but there is also for Carrie the first time ever that she brings a person so intimately into her life that she, at the age of 40, has never had a live-in companion or anyone other than her estranged family that gives her this intimacy and forced to trust him. Uh, she's diving into things that she didn't even have to tap into. I think from the very beginning when she somehow allows him in, um, she's allowing him in only, I think, under duress in her own circumstance, but she's not sure. And there is a scene where she, I will share, she allows him to take her mother's bed sheets and use them in his room <laughs> that he's going to pay, stay with her. And, and it's sort of a moment of great giving that, that Carrie has not had, she has not had to give <laughs> and she has not had to extend herself in this way. And it's almost immediate with Pepper. She feels a connection. It was also an impulsive decision to let him into her house. Because if she would have thought about it properly, she would probably have said no. But it's, right? it's good in that regard that he was thrust upon her somehow because he really helps her get out of her shell. He, he was exactly right. And he was thrust upon her. And so many other things are occurring to Carrie that it's almost as if she was in a little small box and the box was cut open and in that moment that the box was cut open it's a journey for her that she cannot control or stop or change and all that can occur is that she changes and she has to herself allow things to develop within her that I think she never wanted to develop or even thought were possible. And she, Joe, her character, the, the elder gentleman in her life named Joe is, as I say in the book, her guide through these woodlands and a very lovely reviewer kindly shared that the woodlands and the wild animals are really a metaphor of Carrie's own darker interferes and that all of the animals are also representative of her fears. And I like that because it was my intention, but not everybody is, you know, picking up on that sort of this, that touch in the story. But mm. so a little bit of the horror is really mostly Carrie's own sort of horror that she's experiencing in her own fears and complete, just a, a disastrous set of circumstances that you would never expect to occur. And she has to somehow just break it all apart heart and trust other people to help her. Would you also say that, I mean, Teacup, you said Pepper was trust upon her, but would you also <laughs> say that maybe her dogs were a good judge of character where Pepper is regarded and that was also a reason why she couldn't say no in the end? I think so too, right? I mean, the dogs are so important to her and What's been so exciting for me is as I've been posting on Instagram about my story, I have been followed by corgi people <laughs> <laughs> because the dogs are a pair of corgi brothers. And that is so exciting for me because how adorable are they? And they, uh, they do have a, a very important part in the story. And yes, I believe that's very true, that they immediately feel Pepper belongs to them and that he should be there. I think that's awesome that you say that and note that because they are, as you know, they, they, have, a, they have a role to play in the story. And I, one person I actually uh, sent a note to me and said, I'm, all, I'm halfway in. I just have to know that they don't die. <laughs> yes, yes. I, now that you mentioned it I mean because um, we, we've been talking about it before we came on about this I mean I, I never know how much to give away for our listeners because I, I do not want to spoil the story for them or the book for them which would be horrible because your book is so good I mean how shall I say it I mean we spoke about this thing with other guests of ours especially crime fiction authors and they all agreed that killing dogs is a no-no mm -hmm. any, any kind of pet actually. yes any kind of pet but on the other hand the story 
I mean, you don't feel that sorry for them in this case because uh, the, the, the dogs in your book, they pose a very, very dangerous yeah. situation for all of the characters. And it's yeah. a kind of, I mean, they get their, what is it called? What would we say? They get their salvation when you, when you, when you kill them. Yeah, I think that the, the two corgis, I think it, it's, it's been posted And it's not a secret in the at least in in the review community that they they make it, but they are tested. They are tested. And the other dogs are really, I think of them more as. And this doesn't make their death any better, but it is. They are they are sort of beasts that have been subjected to a set of circumstances that. Okay, so the other part of my fascination is. Again, it's it's sort of a, a not a horror thing, but a, there is this sort of I read I read I read a lot of news and and from various sources throughout the world. I find um, that what is so just absolutely crazy in my mind is the stories of Putin's use of poisons. Mm. <laughs> and I find it just oh my gosh that you know someone can come home, touch their doorknob, and be dead. I find those things just. Almost, if you if they weren't real, you would, as a writer, someone would tell you you can't. Yeah. It's just implausible. It's just implausible. And so, I suppose you could say that that whole aspect of my story with the crazy animals yeah. is sort of a just a a bit of a parody or a satire on the crazy thoughts of using poisons and just it. It was more because there is a, a character. Uh, of a Russian origin that is a bit of a mad scientist, if you will. And someone said, this is a story much like the movie Fargo <laughs> meets the movie The Birds. Hmm. Um, Just with cats. <laughs> just with cats, exactly. Exactly. And I must, there must be something wrong with me, but that's how <laughs> I am, that I find such humor in the scene where my character Chat, who I adore, had a car full of cats just raining down his car. And I still read it. And I, I think I, I must like a few things. It's hard to reread your work over and again, but in this case, that passage still gives me a giggle. <laughs> um, <laughs> And just the, the strangeness and the creepiness and the um, sort of just satire of these mad, poison-infused crazy cats. So now I've given your listeners so many different topics, so you probably can't figure out what even is the title about. <laughs> and, uh, I think one needs the humor to yeah. release the tension. In some mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that, as in my memoir, if you don't have humor, you just drop off into another place. I live to twist that sort of, uh, as a writer, I enjoy very much twisting that corner where you are once in a place of darkness, sadness, and then there is light. There is, oh, even if inappropriate, a chuckle, a giggle, something that just gives your brain relief. From that moment, we spoke before we came on. We you told us a little bit about your family history and so on, and the past of Carrie's uh, adversaries also plays a very important role in this whole story, in this whole treasure mm -hmm. hunt. And how was the research, and how much research was involved to get all the facts right? Loved the research part of it. Loved it. Once you begin, it it's a it's just a thread that you can't stop pulling. You keep pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And so once I so just briefly, the secret field started off as more of a story about a different kind of treasure. And it didn't feel right. I had one editor, wonderful editor from Atmosphere Press, shout out to her who worked with me as my editor signed on the book. And I could just feel that she wasn't vibing on this piece of treasure that I was using. It just was. And, and I began thinking, you know, I'm not vibing on that either. I built these characters. I've built the town. I've built the story. I've built the narrative. I've got the dynamics, but it! I don't have the treasure thing down. What in the world? So I went deep. I, I mean, it was six weeks of nothing but really bad Chinese food and chocolate covered 
peanuts. <laughs> um, that's all. It, I just feasted on it until I could dig into the research. And so I took a, a myself on this trip into Turkey in my mind, uh, mm -hmm. a virtual trip, if you will, that was looking for that artifact, that thing. It had to be gold. It had to have a huge huge story behind it of my own making but excuse bless me you. Oh, god bless you septon <laughs> um, and it had to have this sort of mystery to it mm -hmm. so i created this turkish uh, emperor i created his mistress i designed the coin in my mind in my head i i drew it on a multiple pieces of paper i created first i had to have it then once i had it i thought oh i'd like to find that buried in my yard yes i would and then i began thinking it's perfect i mean it's just no one has seen it but there's a myth about it it's the lure of it and then i had to get it somehow across the ocean and somehow i had to find which takes me into the pirates piracy world. It had to have a legit sort of timeline. It had I had to feel legit. So then I had to research families on the South Carolina coast and in in the United States. I, I just I had to get that coin from its ancient origins into the hands of this really nasty family buried in the back. And I got it there. I took, the, that took a lot, like I said, that took a lot of chocolate covered peanuts to get me there. Um, and it was bad because at the end, I tried to get myself into my really cute leather skirt and that was just not going to happen. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, got it there. And then I gave it to my beta reader, a good dear friend. And she just thought, there it is. There it is. I, it's that thing. It's that. So then we took it to the editor and I did all of that in about six weeks. But then I had to go through every single line and every single page to feel the presence of that coin in the entirety of it. It had to, I had to feel its presence, even though it had no connection to various chapters, except I just had to feel that it existed. It was real. It was there. I have a beautiful place that I walk my dogs. It's an old plantation open to the public. And I had to feel it there. It just had to feel like it could be absolutely plausible and real. And I hope I've achieved that. Yes, you did. As I'm, well, yeah. I say so. This multi-layered mystery oh. makes it much more intriguing because it's not only is there a treasure there or not, but also how did the journey of the coins from oh. its origin to this place and also the myth or history of the actual coin in its beginning. So there's more than one mystery. I have had a reader write me and she said, I know you won't tell me, but I want to know what the heck the black stones mean. I'm, you have to tell me what the meaning of the black stones mean. And I promised her the sequel ah. very much tells you the meaning of the black stones. Okay. I, and their I'm, connection I'm guessing, to the, I'm guessing a sort of treasure map. Well, that's, that's it, me. There is not only meaning in the, in that, in that sort of sense. Yes, you, you are correct, but they are also themselves something very, very special. Mm. Um, oh, so they, yeah. they are themselves, they, they are in themselves, something that might be thought of as their own special mm. treasure. Would you say, I, I have to ask you because we also spoke about that, would you say that greed is in essence the root of all evil? Yes. Oh, yes. I Absolutely. I think that this is what tortures on the very granular level in my story. It tortures my character, Joe, in every sense I, I, I want his character to appear as an altruistic, deeply good man. But it is torturing him, yeah. a lifetime of torture about what is buried in the ground. And those are his dreams that I bring into the story, mm -hmm. that while he's dreaming, he is becoming increasingly aware. So the, the secret field, Joe says to, to Carrie, it is a field of many secrets. People have thought it's a field that no one knows about, when in fact it is not so much that as it is a field of many secrets throughout the 
life of the property owners, the plantation family that owned it, but also in its purpose, mm-hmm. in what it meant in terms of a greater community of bad plantation people. This will appear more in the second story, right. but it is a field that is, let's just say, loaded with secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. yeah, would you also say that this greed or this hunt, this continuously, you call it a dream history, but also the family, the plantation owners, it's what destroyed them in the end? Wasn't it some kind of obsession? Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, I think indeed, I think that these were, the story alludes to what is, is these were people that did more than just uh, grow tobacco and and harvest tobacco. They they were a family that had uh, influence and secrets of their own. And this little bit of land that turned out to be just as it moved through time, many decades, many, many decades, it became just this sort of no man's land of just a vacant field until such time as the last of the family has never forgotten the stories he was told generation after generation that there's something in it the town is a small town of many people related to one another and they talk about what is in that land what does what there are rumors and gossip things and just community stories that get twisted and turned over time. But at the end, the thread that carries these stories forward decade upon decade is based in greed. It's based in the story of, is that field filled with gold? Where is the gold? Is there something more out there? And they all begin to think that this, this very, very bad man who returns to seek and see if he can end his family's greedy hunt, he in the end, well, we the end does not end there. There is the sequel, but it, as far as the secret field is concerned, it, it, the field still holds its secrets. Yeah. Another dimension, secrets. I mean, Carrie and her mother, there's mm-hmm. also a lot of secrets there which um, oh, yes. destroyed, destroyed their, I would say, relationship. But somehow they, during the book, especially the second half, you find them on the mend. Yep. So again, this melding of genres, this little piece of my story is a woman's story. And the want to have a mother, the want to feel that you can find something in your mother that you can love, even though Carrie felt no love for her mother, the want was there. And so one of the biggest pieces of Carrie's, if you want to call her treasure hunt or her inner development is to seek that, to allow herself to be open to her mother. And Pepper is the bridge. Pepper is that sensitive sort of conduit who becomes known as Nurse Pepper. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he becomes, he finds a way, I won't share it with your listeners, but he finds a way to bring out a better Bev. Yep. Bev is, is, shall we say, assisted in finding sort of a peaceful place to maybe emerge as a better Bev. And in that little bit of sort of grace that, that is given between mother and daughter, I think Carrie finds her her mother. There are a lot of prickly things left to tell about her mother yeah. in the yeah. sequel. But there is a moment here where they find each other mm. in that crisp. Another lovely reviewer has shared about their Christmas together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how bad Christmases can be for so many people. But in this one one single Christmas, I think the mother and the daughter were as whole as they could be. And Pepper made it so much special. He yeah. just made it so much better. He <laughs> that, did. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was the, he was the, the the Christmas pixie dust, if you will. <laughs> you know, yeah. he brought he brought just that. And and in doing that, Pepper found redemption um so it is a someone said it's so many twists you turn each page and there's another twist (laughs) but i do hope the reader will find that each of those twists in the end ties itself together into a nice um sort of last surprise at the end but also it brings all those threads together yep because uh, (laughs) carrie also finds out a little bit about her mother which we won't say what she finds out but (laughs) it, it gives you an idea why her mother was the person she was and would you would you say that in the end of book one it's still 
is true that Beth is a natural born killer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 You, uh, you've, you've given uh, probably a bigger clue than anybody to what comes ahead. But um, yes, indeed. Yes. So when I, I have not yet subtitled Dangerous Ground, but it is sort of uh, something along the lines of Carrie will have to dig much deeper and to find what she is seeking. And in, in the case with, with Bev, there is a lot of digging yet to go. Mm. So, but I do, I do like Bev. I, I do, I do like Bev. If you've read my memoir, perhaps you will find that there's a bit of a, a little light sort of touch to my own mother, who is not a natural born killer, but um, <laughs> um, a difficult personality indeed. And I think in Carrie's case, Carrie has to become so many more. There's so much more dimension yet to uh, dig deep into herself to find uh, to continue on the digging treasure method metaphors, but she does have to go even further into herself to find the resilience and the compassion, I will say. And to become that person, does she have or does she need then the connection she has with her mother? Yes. Yes. Because in that connection, she will learn more about her life. If in this first book, mm. it is the case that Carrie Does re doesn't really understand her upbringing, doesn't understand her home life. I've tried to let the reader in on the sort of emptiness of her home life. And I think there will be things that will become revealed to Carrie that will help her understand some of that. It may not be what she wants to know, but she may find in that knowledge some solace. And strength, um, strength as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And Pepper will be at her side. <laughs> I can't lose him. No, please don't. Please don't. As she, as she tells Joe at the end, you can't you can't go anywhere, Joe, because we have to raise Pepper. Yes. <laughs> and, and um and and I think that uh, Pe Pepper has, as I've always wanted him to have, so much more than in a small southern town. Pepper was judged harshly. Yep. And uh, he he proves himself to be so many so so many different people and great just great. There's so much love in, in Pepper, and he wants to give it as well. Yeah, but you also have a little bit of flamboyance in your story. I mean, his friends for a small oh, yeah. town in America. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. His well. <laughs> I think that he was connected to others that were judged, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they are all working people that had to make decisions about how they would support themselves. And Pepper was a part of that community. He also found in them, interestingly enough, and it's kind of a just a sort of a nod to a friend of mine, that you can be narrow-minded and live in a small town, and but you can also find in these little nooks and crannies people who are your family your 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 community think alike and in the one passage who i really like the character marty saying that not all of us are just churchy old judgmental people but that prayer prayer can be good you know it doesn't have to just be the misperceptions of church quote unquote church people it can be also a place of inner reflection and yeah. so i think pepper in this sense is very he's very dynamic and there are many sort of conflicts to the many sides of pepper greed greed also plays into pepper's uh flawed character yeah the greed thing yeah, yeah. carries forward yeah. the greed thing is there in each of them yeah It, it exists in each one of them. And I think, you know, it comes forward even further in the next story. I think in, in small towns, you have all different kinds of people. It might be more difficult to live there. And some people might want to show it diff in a different way. But there are all kinds of people there from all That's different right. backgrounds. So. Right. And this was the, in, just in my take on it, that you might not ever come together as these characters have. But for the fact that it is such a small and insular town that these people come together and share a purpose, yep. they share a common purpose. And, you know, there's no question that who's the bad guy here. We, I mean, there's no we got a bad guy. We got a bad we got a couple of them. But it also has brought Carrie just just basically just 
dropped her into this. And for a short spell, she thought it was just a place of such solace and quiet and isolation. And then just that first chapter sort of speaks to the the suddenness of how things can change. And they they change so fast in that opening chapter for her that she finds herself Alice in Wonderland down a rabbit hole on, you know, jet fuel. (laughs) Yep. So she has to start to live and not uh, to exist. That's just it. Exactly. And you said greed is part of each of your characters, but I, I would also say, correct me if I'm wrong in this perception, but greed is also a, plays a major role in the whole of the town as we yep. as we as we learn what is going on. I mean, um, yep. nobody is uh, left nope. out in this nope. because the town flips on Joe, people who mm. he has known all his life and who he has helped and um, what money can do in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what I wanted in this narrative is to, to to convey to the reader that the stories of these ancient gold findings or treasures or were passed on from family to family over time, that they became sort of silly town stories or are they silly town stories, right? They just, they sort of take on a, a sort of an ebb and flow of are they real? No, they can't be real. Are they real? Maybe they're real. And in this time and place of my story, they just become real again, like really real again. And so real that the town is just electrified by these rumors and stories and un, just unyielding twists that take the story to places of curiosity, but also asking yourself the question. I will see this is because I've always asked myself the question, what if it was there? What if it is there? What if I'm sitting on top of something that has such, you just think about our, our world and how we've just built cities and towns and upon such ancient ground that what the heck um, but in this case in the case of this rain tree plantation it's been sort of a, a knowledge that the 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 the, the, rig- the origins of the, the rain tree family were scoundrels if yeah. you will yeah. but also were themselves uh, pardon my saying bsers <laughs> and um, maybe maybe they were telling tall tales or but maybe those tall tales had something to do with something that was there. Yep. I think it, if you just ask yourself the question, and it's more hypothetical, but if it becomes more, more solid, more real, that there is something in the earth, it becomes much more powerful, and then people start to change. Right. Because they think, oh, hey, I really get, could get my hands on it and become rich. It, well, exactly right. And we won't give away too much, but see, this is what tortures Joe because he lives his entire life thinking, is it there? Is it not there? And Joe sort of clings to that belief that it's there. He wants to live his life. It's, it's implied that his wife of many, many years wants no part of it. She doesn't want to think about it. She doesn't want to torture herself with it, but he cannot stop thinking about it. It just is there. It's there in his dreams. And he finally gets into this, again, where the story opens is when all of these old stories and sort of um, subdued thoughts about it and suppressed thoughts about it, all of it suddenly is now perking to the surface again. Mm -hmm. And it's just hell-bent on finding it one last go for it. Let's just, you know, and they form this coalition that is going to either lose their home or Mm -hmm. find the treasure or something in between. (laughs) But but with Joe, I'm wondering, is is it really greed I mean, is it really the money he's after or is it merely, well, you know, merely merely about solving the riddle once and for all? I think that it's implied in the story that it is a little bit of both Both. because Joe grew up poor, but came home from the war a hero and always knew that, you know, the rain trees were running low on decency. They were running low on, (laughs) on, on, you know, a family member of some decency. And so I think that in his mind, it was, you know, can't the good guy, can't the good guys just 
is there no hope for us to just end? I don't want to give too much away, but here Joe is, it's so close, but so far. Yeah. It's that, so I, I think it runs both sides of that question. It is the curiosity, but it's also the daggone it. If, if someone's going to find it, can it be me? <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. why yeah. can't it be me? And and here Carrie's just bought a house just so she can hide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and not and not even barely step outside her door. She works remotely. You know, her dogs are all her her life. She just wants to be uh, in a bubble. But mm-hmm. that that's that's over. First chapter, first pages. That's over. <laughs> yes, it's yes, over. Yes. Yes. That... <laughs> bubbles. The bubbles burst. <laughs> and in what a way to burst. So. <laughs> I had someone kindly say to me the fastest five pages they've ever read. And I thought, thank you, because yep. I worked hard to make it that way. Yep. I hope somebody feels that it's just like, oof, yes. what just happened there? Yep, it was. Yep. I mean, I have to agree <laughs> with that. Yep. You you were a bit shocked. He's, he's a bit squeamish, so. It's not what oh, I good. expected. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> No, it was oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, Susan, may I also ask about your writing process? Are you a meticulous planner? No, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I I have to I have to tell you I I enjoy so much uh, listening in and and observing other writers and their their post it notes and their color coded stuff and how well they organize. Oh, if you could only see this. Um, I wrote the memoir on the backs of like um, electric bill statements and um, grocery store receipts and anything that, you know, while, while driving. And I think my process is to, I begin writing right away. I just begin pouring out the words. I just begin pouring them out. I usually can write a lot in a short period of time. And then I have to reread and reread and reread and reread. And then I start another big um, sort of section. And by then, yes, indeed, there is some organizing to be done. <laughs> and there is some crafting to be done, of course. But what I find also very helpful, the Secret Field had two editors. So the first editor was when I felt that I wasn't I just wasn't experienced enough to craft the thriller side of the story. I felt that I was up against mega awesome thriller writers and what I just didn't want to make a complete fool of myself. So I asked someone very gifted if she would help me. Her name is a shout out to Mary Cole, who is herself um, a writer and editor. And so she sent back these wonderful notes loved it exciting thrilling oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> and then i had like a hundred and i count them 139 ways to f- fix it all and i thought did you like it at all <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god but every single one of those 139 comments they weren't she didn't, re, she didn't redo it okay so i started not over again but i would say many hundreds of hours addressing each one of those that made me so much stronger as a writer so much it was a it was like a master class that i definitely needed and it was such a wonderful but painful experience and then it was ready to go to atmosphere and i was just so proud of it and so full of myself and <laughs> then the second editor thought i came away from my first conversation with meg and i thought she didn't like it and I thought, oh my God, what, is it me or is it her? Or, you know, she seemed focused on a couple of things and I thought, well, I can fix those. But I wasn't feeling like she was vibing on it. And I felt certain she would have told me if she had been. So that's when I started digging for the real gold. And I took, I, that's when I gutted it again. Again. And now, again, there is no organization to this. There is no color-coded anything. <laughs> there is just get in those pages and start writing it and fixing it. So then when that's done, and I think I'm there, and I actually love what I'm reading, which is really hard for me to feel, that's when I go, I do line by line. It does not go, I go line by line. And if I don't like that line, out it goes. When I 
told Meg, I freely, without any hesitation, just cut, cut, cut. I cut 5,000 words like an hour after I spoke to Meg. And I thought those, those are, it's to me, it's organic. If I have to start really being organized, I worry about just my voice, my crazy, weird voice. So (laughs) I think best not to go too far it, it overthink but just emote write and then seriously craft i believe there is a craft aspect to at least my process that mm-hmm. i have to feel like i'm crafting each line could it be better is it mm-hmm. in the right posture is it in the right feel mm-hmm. is there another way to make you feel squeamish for example or to make <laughs> you feel like alarmed or those things and i knew there were parts that would never change and my ending pretty much never changed hmm. and my first my first chapter pretty much never changed there were little tweaks but the other like 300 pages in between those yeah a lot of a lot of work (laughs) but pretty much uh chaos and um just i have to read it like it i don't read it and i don't like it well what's a reader gonna do Mm. read it and like it no and and if i'm trying to be funny and i don't think it's funny well what's the reader gonna think so i have to i have to be my first judge of what i think has made sort of a moment of levity or or you know there are some really heavy passages in my memoir that i really doubted i could write but i wrote them and I, I got them out. And even now, as I read them, I feel very emotional. And I think, but this is what I intended for it to be. Mm-hmm. So just have to feel it. I guess that's a long-winded answer to say, I just got to feel my way through it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Which also brings me to the question then, what would be your advice for any other aspiring author? I would say that's the single piece of advice is to find someone to read your work. And someone that will be your editor or you're just your developmental editor. If you're a writer, you have a voice. You, you must have a voice or you wouldn't be a writer. So you must use your voice and not, not change your voice, but certainly learn from someone else. It's a humbling experience. My 131, 39, 30, excuse me, 139 remarks from Mary Cole. But I had to say you were my teacher. I had a lot to learn. And everybody, I I absolutely hated this when people were reading my work before Mary and saying, oh, you've got the writer chops. I'm like, what's a chop? What is the writer? What does that mean? I have the writer chop. I'm, you know, what is that? And I think I knew when I was in the eighth grade, I was a writer because my teacher told me to sit in the hallway and I didn't have to work, go to class. I got that part. I know that, but I'm not a I'm not a. I'm not good at the craft. I if I want to if I want to write a novel or as in my first book, the nonfiction memoir, you have to have you're, you're writing for an audience that has to want to just enjoy it. And so Mary and Meg, I, the single thing I can say is, do not take anything lightly. If they bring it to you as their first experience and observation as an editor, give it a really serious look at because they're bringing something to you that you will learn from. And I I know that I did. I would do it again and again because I think you have to step back. I think beta readers are also very important. I can't hire or afford an army of beta readers, but if you have a best friend and they can read a few lines and let you know, those are just ways of hearing how you are being received. What about your future plans? I mean, you we already mentioned your sequel a few times. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Well, the yes, to the sequel, yes. I'm so I'm having such a good time with it and it's the seriousness of making a sequel to stand up to its, its first book and to not to be a standalone as as its own book. Those are challenges to me. I'm also working on just some writing about the journey of these last few years through the COVID experience. I did not myself have COVID, but I have had a journey in my own work, in my own world that as a, what is it that Jane Seymour says when she advertises her her moisturizer cream as a woman of a certain age? Um, (laughs) Well, she looks darn good, but um, as a woman of a certain age, I feel that, well, like the characters in The Secret Field, my party's just getting started 
started. And so that is kind of what the COVID story has taught me, is that you have to think of it in this way. And I'd like to bring those thoughts forward in either a short piece or something further. So yes, but for now, it's all on chaos and uh, grocery store receipts. (laughs) And my very extremely efficient system of writing the second book. And I find that if I am driving and I have to write something down, it's best not to be anywhere near my lane. (laughs) 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 Might not be good, but um, I, I try to save those thoughts as best as I can and grab them because they just come as they're like little, like they're just little neurons that are few, uh, the few that I have left, they're, they're, they're firing in. And um, I think that what keeps you alive and young is if you love to do something as, as in the case of writing, you just have to commit and write and work and let it drive your energy. I absolutely agree with you there. Teacup, more questions for guests? No. Only maybe when ah. we can expect yeah. to have the joy of reading the sequel. 2023. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I'm a little behind at the moment, so I was so hopeful to be further along, but it is something that um, once it starts, we'll just finish. And I would say it's it's well on its way. So a little a little more research doing because the world of numismatist is fascinating and uh, Carrie finds herself in a foreign land so I'm going to do a little bit of study so that I can make it as real as I love to take myself on these little journeys through my the, the, the magic of the internet I can actually place myself there I, in my in my memoir uh, there's a chapter where I'm on a street in Detroit with my late husband and it was so great that all of those same the church, everything was right there. And I, I could just immerse myself. So the same thing with Carrie. I'll take myself on a journey and uh, and try to bring that to the reader. Yeah, wonderful. Mm. So, also, well, we are looking forward to it. Oh, and, thank and, you. And I highly recommend our listeners to the same. Read The Secret Field. It's, like I said, fast-paced and you can't put it down. And it's a great journey. And we are, like I said, also looking forward to Book two. Within a year. Yes, within a year. No, I promise to find you and, and let you know. Thank you yes, so much, both of you. Thank you, Susan, for joining us. Stop raining. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, girl, looking good here. It's getting well, a bit dark. Wonderful stop, having stop. you on. It Thank was you a both. Pleasure. It I was just, my pleasure as well. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did? Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.